sitting in section 312 this week, we have Obi Agomo, the assistant coach at Central College. We talk NBA playoffs. Uh, we're recording this late for a dagger that just happened with Damian Lillard. We talked that. We got baseball, the NFL draft, and we have a new starting five of early deaths in cinema and movies and games in honor of the Game of Thrones episode that's about to go down with this giant battle. But before we get to that, this episode is brought to you by Fast Money Lifestyle Clothing of Chicago. They are a Southside brand that started back in 2012. Shout out Fast Money OJ, type his name on YouTube and SoundCloud, and look for new videos and upcoming visuals. Or go follow at Fast Money underscore Sean on Instagram. He's the one in charge of the brand. Go follow the clothing page for updates and new drops at Fast Money Lifestyle clothing on instagram they have merchandise tour dates visuals their shirts are pretty cool i got a couple of them they're super comfy they're super affordable go check them out fastmoneylifestyleclothing.com today's episode is also brought to you by the closet we talk about it every week they get new inventory all the time he's got a bunch of jerseys swimwear everything's coming uh summers down the street it's around the corner you know what i'm talking about Go down to the closet, 606 South Illinois Avenue, located in Carbondale, Illinois. Open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 a.m. through 7 p.m. He's got coupons, 5 off 25. He gets new merchandise every week. There's some Gucci shoes in there right now. A couple Louis bags for cheap. Jerseys, go check them out. The closet. And we're back what is up Damien he went off I I thought the Thunder I thought the Thunder were going to win it I thought Damien was going to take two but Damien Lillard snapped I I waited all fucking day for this game I was like I was hyped dude I was fucking I bought like I bought fucking some fried chicken I bought a six pack of beer and I, all I wanted to do all day from the moment I woke up was sit down and watch this game go down. And it did not disappoint in any way, shape, or form. I am so fucking hyped right now, dude. Damian Lillard is a fucking animal. I am all in on the Blazers bandwagon, baby. Let's fucking go, fucking Portland. I'm all in with these fuckers. I love this team, dude. Let's go. You you seem pretty high, and this is all without you know Nurkic, who suffered that gruesome gruesome injury. But let's break it. The game just ended. We're recording this late on Tuesday night. We it was a great game. Damian was you know he snapped early in the first half. I believe he had like 36 or something crazy like that in the first half, 32. And McCollum had three fouls before halftime, so he sat out. Paul George ends up with five fouls and Russell ends up with five fouls in the game, but it was back and forth. At one point, the Portland Trailblazers were up by like 13, 14. I, well, it was back and forth, man. I mean, I mean, the Blazers, you know, Blazers jumped out. It was a close game. The fucking Oklahoma City, uh, you know, down the stretch. I mean, uh, Portland goes into the bonus in what halfway through the third quarter. And, you know, at that point, I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, you know, it's about tie game, you know, kind of back and forth. Portland's going to pull away, it's foul shots, you know, it's going to be an easy wrap up. And Oklahoma City charged straight back, like hit some big shots, made it down the stretch, held a big lead. I mean, you know, about eight points with six minutes left. 
And uh, Portland just just wrote it out, man. They fucking killed it out there, dude. I think the Nurk injury, uh, we can talk about it later, but I think it's going to fuck them a little bit down the line, which kind of hurts. But, I mean, for right now, man, uh, Damian Millard played just out of his mind. He had some bad turnovers. McCollum was playing shit defense but hit some big shots in the fourth. He was picking it up a lot. I mean, dude, I do. I'm, I'm almost at a loss for words at this game right now, man. This shit is fucking wild. So Russell shot 11 for 31. He missed 20 shots. He was 4 for 11 from three-point line, but he did have a triple-double with 11 rebounds, 14 assists. Paul George ended with 36 points, and Damian Lillard, you know, the talk of the night, dropped 50 and hit the game winner to end it and move the Trailblazers on. Who Would they play the Nuggets next once the Nuggets win? Is that how it goes? Well, I mean, it's it's 3-2. So, so Denver won tonight. Um, Denver's up 3-2 on San Antonio right now. Look like they have complete control of that series going forward. So, yeah, it looks like that Denver's going to advance. and It'll be uh, Portland-Denver in the second round. Portland matches up well with Denver right now, and Portland is going to be absolutely just fucking wired after this game like it, it was unbelievable i mean yeah i got some shit pulled up right now right so some just initial takeaways really quick shit um you know paul, this is paul george's team right paul george drops 36 he goes you know three freight from three not great but you know he, he's out there he, he i mean he looked pretty good like he he looked like he had control of that team but russ i mean for someone that got a triple double, it's just so unimpressive all the time. And I hate to beat that dead horse, but like he has the most unimpressive 29, 11, and 14 night. He completely fucked them down the stretch. He took some awful shots. He didn't burn clock. He was taking long twos, missing them. I mean, I think he, he gave Portland the game back just trying to kind of, I don't know if he wanted to match Willard or what, but. Okay, well, I have two takes from this series after really sitting down and watching Russell Westbrook, and I just, I'm just spitballing here. Is it the shoes? Is it the shoes why he can't shoot? Hear me out. Before he you know, signed this deal with Jordan and he won the MVP and everything, the, these why not 2.0s, they look like bricks on his feet. They look heavy. They look sloppish. Didn't before he used to wear like Kobe's and hyper dunks or something like that. What happened? Is it the shoes? Is that why he can't shoot? Do you think it's the shoes? I mean, according to MJ, it's all it's all about the shoes. Uh, I'm gonna say I don't know if it has to do with the shoes, man. I mean, I just think he can never shoot to begin with. <laughs> for being honest, I mean, he's minus four tonight, right? He he's he's not a shooter, dude. And in a long series, when you can game plan for Russell Westbrook's style of play, it's it's easy to do. And I mean, I want to find and this isn't to pick at Paul George, but I want to find a way to say, you know, Paul George being the lead player on that team needs to do something about it. But I mean, he had a good game, dude. I mean, it's the you know, their their bench outside of Schroeder sucked and, and Schroeder was a minus 11 tonight. So, I, I mean, I don't know. Like I, th- I think he he's on the court to score and be Russ and get points for Russ. I don't think he's on the court to get points for the Thunder. So Damian just knocked the Thunder out of the playoffs. So I, I would like to say that all of my picks last week that I said these teams are dead, it appears are indeed going to die. So um, shout out to me or past me. Um, 
I think I mean Milwaukee looks dope, man. They they look really good. They're a fucking uh, they're a machine out there in the East. I mean uh, I think they had like plus at least you know eighty points was the differential in the four game sweep. I mean they uh, they they ran the table and they ran the Pistons out of the ground, fam. Yeah, I don't think it was you know fair to begin with. Giannis is just a freak of nature. And their next matchup, I believe, is against Boston. It is against Boston. Okay. I'm. I think it goes to seven. I think so too. And I mean, here here's the thing, right? Griffin was not a hundred percent that series. They were, and that means that the Pistons are arguably missing their best player. Um, so it, it's not that uh, Milwaukee shouldn't be happy with the win. It's great for Giannis to win his first series. It's um, a really good deal, um, you know, for for them to build some confidence to to get some hype up in Milwaukee. But I wouldn't. I would take it with a grain of salt beating an eight seed Pistons team without their best player. You know, uh, same thing Boston though. I guess right with Oladipo. I think Boston is a fucking force out there too. I mean, I don't know what you feel. Uh, who do you think wins the series? I'm going to say Milwaukee takes it this year in seven. Boston took it last year. I think Milwaukee takes it this year. Who who do you think is a more important piece on the Celtics that needs to perform? Jason Tatum or Kyrie Irving in the series? I think Gordon Hayward. Do you think Hayward is the guy? He's, Hayward, he's the ex- He hasn't done really anything since the injury, and I think he needs to come back strong in this playoff series to make an impact, and I think he's the key factor if the Boston Celtics want to win. They've been bringing him off the bench, dude. He's been like the uh, the sixth man. Like They've been kind of... Uh, he, I think he had like 20 points the other night coming out of that role. So, I mean, it's good that Gordon Hayward's back, though. Like, I feel for the dude. You know, I'm sure his ankle is finally kind of really getting back, and his leg is really getting back to full strength. Um, but, yeah, personally, I think it's Tatum. Tatum's going to be up on Giannis a lot. I think it's going to be a big task for him to control him on defense. I think Tatum needs to perform on offense. Um, and I think Kyrie's going to need to hit a couple of big shots. And I guess I agree with you in that the Bucks win solely because I don't think all of the pieces that need to fall into place for Boston to uh, t- to win this series are going to happen because there's just too much shit that needs to happen. Uh, if, if, let me pose a little hypothetical for you here. If the Celtics lose to the Bucks, do you think Kyrie leaves? Yes. Was before, but you, you, think he's, you think he's gone to New York? I think he's gone regardless. I agree with you. I think he's going to do it. I think it's a bad move, though, in kind of hindsight that happens. So sticking with the Bucks, the former coach of the Bucks, Jason Kidd, he actually interviewed for the Lakers job, and I believe I called it a couple weeks ago. I said, you know, Jason Kidd will be the next head coach of the Lakers, and everyone's like, yeah, I can see it, you know. I, I'm Jason Kidd, I think he would be a good fit. I think him and LeBron could mesh well, but the Lakers still have a lot of things they need to uh, address. I mean, dude, yeah, yeah, I I completely agree with you. Um, it's I, I feel like it's you got what is it? Jason Kidd, Monty Williams, and Ty Lue are kind of your three people that, frankly, fit the criteria that the Lakers like in their head coaches, and all would probably be able to work best with LeBron. And I feel like those are your two highest criteria if you're picking a coach for the Lakers. I think it'd be a good fit. I really do, but. 
what's not looking good right now is Luke Walton. He's under investigation for, I guess, sexual assault when he just got hired by the Kings. Do you think, my question to you is, do you think Magic Johnson knew about this before he stepped down? I don't know if he knew about it, well, before he stepped down. What's Magic there? You think it happened like one night at the bar, Magic and Luke are there together, and that's why they, they haven't talked in months? Well, some details came out about it tonight, though, right? Like, uh, apparently it was like a uh, TV reporter, and there's some uh, accusations out there that uh, she accuses uh, that Luke Walton kind of forced himself on her. He uh, Nothing actually happened, I think. She said she was just felt like it was kind of like he was threatening or was going to, but she was able to get out of it. And there was like some other shit that went on down the line. I don't know. I don't want to put Magic Johnson there. I don't want to put him in that seat yet. But. So my question for you would be, do we even get to see Luke Walton coach one game for the Kings? That is a good question. Uh, depending on where this goes over the summer, man, if this, if this accelerates a lot, I don't think so. But, you know, the Kings said that they were aware of what was going on, which is kind of fucked up to begin with, right? Did you see the video of Carmelo working out in the gym? No. Dude, he's working out in the gym, and he's got a beanie on. He doesn't have a hood. Beanie Mellow has been activated. It's like Super Saiyan Level 2. He's going off. He, He looks good. He looks thin. He's making shots. Carmelo for the comeback next year. Your one dark horse that offers Carmelo the one year deal to prove himself. What team would it be? God. Um, all right. Uh, let's see. Who can I spitball that's about like a mid-range team that could use potentially Beanie Mellow? Ooh, uh, me. who, who do you got? I'm going to say the Clippers. I was going to say Phoenix. I, it, we should be big Phoenix guys. I think we I, need I to get like on the Phoenix. I do like the Phoenix Suns. Let's, let's become Phoenix. We'll be big Phoenix supporters next big year. Phoenix I think we should, especially, yeah. Especially if they get Ja. Oh, if they take John Morant over Zion? Well, I, they're going to be... Well, yeah, yeah, I guess they're one or two. But I could I could get on the, the Phoenix bandwagon. Um, yeah, I mean, <sighs> Melo, I don't know. I don't know what to take away from Melo about right now. He always kind of does this shit, man. He, he's just got to put himself out there at social media and see what he can do. Is, is, is Melo going bald? Do you think he he was kind of thinning up there? Do you think the beanie is just like uh he's gonna shave the head and then Mellow kind of makes a comeback as the shaved head Mellow? Bald Mellow is that like level three? Bald Mellow? <laughs> yeah. It goes hoodie beanie bald. <laughs> what uh what did they get when they got to the highest level? They got like something right? They they got like uh all the Dragon Balls. You got like this like superpower. We just need Mellow to kind wish. of. Uh, you get one wish. And knowing Carmelo, he'd make some dumbass wish for like to go back time and play with AI or something. He'd wish to be able to take more shots in his career, more <laughs> more two pointers from from the wing. <laughs> like what? That would be fun. So Damian just hit that game winner, knocked the Thunder out. The NBA playoffs are in full swing. Teams are going out left and right. Teams are dead. Teams are look like they've been resurrected. But this week is also the NFL draft, and it's in New York this week, right? It's in New York. I think it's back in New York. Yeah, it would make sense that they brought it back to New York. It was in Chicago the past couple weeks, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was in Chicago, and I think it was in what uh, Philly for a little bit. 
I mean, they've been kind of trying to take it around, and it's done really well. It was a good move by the NFL to try to do that. So let's just jump into some NFL news that have been, you know, headlining for the past couple of days. The Patriots re-signed Josh Gordon. They don't know if he's going to play or what's up with him, but they have the rights to him. So if he does come back and play, he will be a Patriot. I told you I think the Patriots repeat. And if he comes back and plays, that's a nasty one-two combo with Demarius Thomas and Josh Gordon. Yeah, I heard it was, but he's a free agent right now. Oh, wait, no, he was re-signed? Oh, and Julian Edelman. Yeah, he, no, he wasn't, he signed his franchise tag. Oh, shit. I mean, yeah, I mean, assuming that the NFL gets him back in, I mean, I'm shocked that the Patriots are still keeping with this dude. They must think that, I mean, you, they got to see something with him, right? If if the Pats are keeping him around again. Dude, he's a very good he's a very good wide receiver. He just can't stay off the weed, like Stephen A. says. And you know, he's he's got a lot of talent. I think he's got a little brain troubles that he needs to work out. But he will be a Patriot. He will be a Patriot. And I think the Patriots could go back and they could repeat. And I want to see you get that Tom Brady tattoo on your ass of his head with the goat body and the horns coming out of his head. That'd be hilarious. What do you think? Uh, Gordon did for 420. Dare I say, uh, Super Bowl? Did he get a ring? I want to know. Did he get a Super Bowl ring? I don't know. I think we got to ask him. I think that's the easiest way to do it. Can you uh, can you insert some sort of like a cliche like drum beat behind my joke there? Like a little. Let's move on. All right, Frank Frank Clark. All right, new team gets paid. We're talking five years. $105.5 million with 63.5 guaranteed. That is a lot of cheddar. What the fuck do you think about that? Is that is that is that too much? He he's going to uh the Chiefs, which is really big for them. Needs a lot of linebacker help. You know, D Ford's gone. They got they gotta revamp that. And I mean, it's probably a little bit over the top for Kansas City, but I mean it's I think it's a good move on their end. So, I think they shared up some positional needs, especially before so, the draft. So you lose Eric Berry and you go get Frank Clark. And if I'm the Bears on that, was it Monday night game or Sunday night game? Am, am I worried? Is my O-line going to be able to handle that? I mean, I think so, right? We, we, we got a... I don't think they lost anyone on the O-line. Kyle Long will be healthy. I mean, uh, you know, Trubbs is a – Mitchie T is a good uh, good scrambler. I, that, they'll be fine. Yeah, I don't think it's anything to worry about necessarily. I mean, you know, one game, you don't have to see it. You don't, you don't have to see him twice in division every year. You see him once every four years. I don't think it's, you know, anything to, to um, be terrified about. But uh, Le'Veon Bell, bro. I don't know. I thought he was happy to be in New York. He's just not showing up to the Jets minicamp. I mean, I I think it's optional. I think it's not mandatory. But still, you know, you want to make a good first impression. Or is he just like, you know what? I got rap album number two on the way. And I'm still, you know, I'm still spreading love on Twitter because, you know, AB's done with his rant. And, you know, I want to make sure I look like the good guy, you know. So, we're, we'll see more of the Leon Bell, James Conner bromance bloom in front of us. I mean, uh, I think, I, I, you know what? So I was always big, like, damn, like, why wouldn't you show up to minicamp, right? And I saw a tweet the other day 
Um, I think it was actually from Antonio Bryant who uh, followed us for a little bit and we were trying to get in the pod and he kind of posed, you know, if you, you went to work for a voluntary, like if, if work told you to go to something that was voluntary, would you go or like, you know, would you only go if it was mandatory? And, you know, I thought it was a good point, right? I mean, if he's in shape, if he's looking good, it's probably not a good thing to do. But, you know, if he goes and performs, who gives a fuck, right? No one's going to remember this anyways. If he goes out and rushes for a thousand yards in, you know, the first 12 games. You know, we talked about for a while. We were going to go on this giant goose chase, wild man hunt. We were going to hit up Don Walker, the bear man. We were going to go search hunt down and find our kicker and bring him back to his family because he has been missing. He had the face on the milk cartons missing Robbie Gould. If you've seen him, please contact Robbie Gould. He's been found. He's been located and he is fucking pissed. He is mad. He goes into the general manager's office of the 49ers and he demands a trade. He said, look, I don't want to be here. I'm a bear. My family is in Chicago. I want to be closer to them. I demand a trade. Do you think he gets it? Uh, I mean, I don't know, man. I don't know if the 49ers would trade a franchise tag kicker, and I don't know if anyone would want to trade for him. And Chicago is definitely an option, but they're probably going to want draft picks, and I don't think Ryan Pace is going to give up draft picks for Robbie Golden. Uh, is this the first kicker? I've never heard of a kicker demanding a trade. I think that's kind of fucking hilarious if you think about it. Well, he was about to become the highest paid kicker in the NFL. The 49ers were about to offer him over $5 million for uh, the year. So he want, they want to sign him long term, and he doesn't want to sign with them long term. So I don't know. The Bears could give somebody up, but I don't know what they would possibly want to give up. I mean, I thought, you know, the Jordan Howard deal really wasn't too great. And, you know, but. I don't know. We'll see what happens from Robbie Gould. But moving on to the draft itself, Ryan Pace comes out and says the Bears need to hit with these picks because they don't have many of them. What do you think our needs are? Yeah, man, draft's coming up Thursday night. Super hyped. I mean, I think the Bears need to look O-line. You know, it's it's a it's a good O-line draft in kind of the middle rounds, uh, looking, you know, second to fifth. I think there's a lot of options there. Um, I think you can sure up, maybe look at a, the uh, a tackle position, a guard. I think the Bears also need to kind of start looking now at defensive back. They're going to have some dudes that are coming up on contract. They're going to need to worry about, uh, you know, maybe maybe replacing um, uh, Adrian Amos after he's kind of gone to uh, Green Bay. And uh, you kind of got a uh, ha-ha Clinton Dix for, I think, a year or two. So I think it's a, it's a filler time. I think it would be good to get a safety for sure. Uh, a safety and an offensive lineman, I think, are my two biggest things that I have here. Uh, what I got to ask you, and I was kind of thinking about this today, do you have any wild predictions for what we're going to see happen on Thursday night? You know, I really want to say that Josh Rosen gets traded. I really do want to say that I see that, but I also could say that I see them taking Kyler Murray and keeping Rosen. But let me tell you right now, I don't. I think Kyler Murray should have stayed playing baseball, to be honest with you. I don't think... I see another Johnny Manziel type, not mentality wise, but height wise and, you know, physique wise. I don't think that's what's going to work. I think they may try and eventually pull the Denard Robinson approach and try and transition him maybe into a slot wide receiver or something quicker, maybe a cornerback or something like that. But I think baseball would have been the better route. 
But if he wants a big lump sum now from going as the number one pick, because I believe you get like a $10 million signing bonus going or something like that for being the number one pick. Maybe it's like $2 million or something like that. I'm not sure. If we had the IT guy, Matt, you know, he could look it up and tell me, but I'm not going to waste, you know, looking it up right now. But that's me personally, what I think. I think what's really going to shock us from this draft is I think the Raiders are going to have a couple good picks. See, that's funny because I was going to say, well, so Calgary has to be talked about with predictions, just cliche shit. I'm going to say my wild prediction is that um, either the Raiders move up and get Kyler Murray or the Raiders are going to go defensive line in this first couple of picks. And we see a team that's a complete surprise at about pick 10 to 15 because Kyler falls that far move up. Like, you know, a playoff team, someone looking to replace a uh, veteran quarterback that's aging, move up and take Kyler with that pick. Like the Steelers, maybe? Something like that. I could see that. Um, what about New York? Do they, where are the Giants? I mean, man, I don't know, dude. The Giants don't seem to be interested in getting a quarterback. I feel like they're going to go defensive line. Why? I don't know. I'm not going to agree with it, but I feel like I, I, for whatever wacky reason, they think fucking Eli Manning is still going to be a decent quarterback for a while. Apparently, like the the Giants didn't like Kyler. Like they they've said that for a while. They're they're not Kyler fans. So Dwayne Haskins, I guess, is sitting there. But I mean, I don't know how I really feel about uh doing uh or about committing to saying that the giants would take Dwayne haskins it would make sense and if i was the gm which obviously i'm in no way shape or form qualified to be uh i would take Dwayne haskins knowing the little that i know but uh i i don't i don't see it happening man i see them to go in defensive line or i see him go in linebacker with like a devin white so the nfl drafts on thursday we're looking forward to it we're I can't wait to see what the Bears do, where Kyler Murray goes. Let's get into our interview our interview with Obi Agomo. He is the assistant coach at Central College for the men's basketball team. So here's the interview with Obi Agomo. Now sitting in Section 312, we have the assistant coach of Central College. We have Obi Agomo. Obi, I haven't talked to you in like seven years back when me and your brother were playing on the same basketball team. How are you doing? I'm doing well, doing well, uh, living the coaching life, you know, can't complain about it, you know, been blessed, you know, to be able to, you know, go from, you know, my playing career all the way from high school to college to the pros and now, you know, coach going back into college, you know, uh, being uh, a college coach. Okay, so you brought up right from the jump your uh, pro career. You played overseas, and I got to ask, what what was the lifestyle like being a professional basketball player overseas? What was, like, your daily routine? Uh, you know, go from, you know, waking up in the morning. You know, you have your individual workouts you have to go to with your trainer, you know, personally and stuff. Uh, getting all your stretching in. Uh, getting, uh, your, you know, the uh, – your nutrition your nutrition plan that you have to have after you work out and things like that and then you go from your work individual workouts in the morning so i'd wake up maybe around nine o'clock go work out at 10 o'clock go from 10 to noon and then go go eat and then we don't have our team practices up until four o'clock in the afternoon so from 12 o'clock all the way until four is kind of you know your time to do whatever and then you go from uh once you go to practice at four o'clock 
you know, you just do your team uh, practices from four to six and then you're done for the uh, for the day. So it's kind of, you know, it kind of have a lot of downtime. You know, guys, you know, think that, you know, professional athletes, you know, they always have, you know, they don't have enough time. But there's a lot of downtime in the professional sport. So um, you played kind of all over um, all over the globe, I guess. Uh, so what, what kind of uh, what different places did you play? And we'll start out with that. Uh, when I when I left, uh, so I graduated from Greenville University uh, near the St. Louis area uh, in 2011. From 2011, uh, I actually played because there was a lockout year, the NBA lockout year during the time I graduated. So, you know, they're trying to get guys, you know, from the NBA, you know, in the G League and stuff to go play uh, overseas and things. So there's kind of a little hold in between there. Uh, my first my first stop was at uh, I got drafted in the National Basketball League of Canada. I was a 24th pick overall there. Uh, my second year I played in Kosovo, uh, Kosovo, Serbia, kind of Yugoslavia area. And then my third year played in Italy, out in uh, Bari near the Adriatic Sea there. And then my last year played out in Egypt. Did you have uh, Did you have a favorite amongst any of those places that you uh, enjoyed spending your time the most? Uh, I think. It, Probably Italy because I was right by the Adriatic Sea and things like that. So uh, you wake up, you know, you could like my my apartment actually had uh, you can uh, like hear the waves when you wake up in the morning. And like when you walk in the in my apartment there, you know, you had the, the smell of the, of the salt water there. So it was kind of nice. Yeah, beach house, ladies, some pasta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you couldn't complain. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. Going straight from Greenville, well, it used to be Greenville College, now it's oh, Greenville right. University. So you've done uh, some coaching and stuff now, and you played overseas. But I also uh, read up that you played on the Nigerian basketball team. I did. So uh, after I came home, so I came home in 2013 from playing in uh, Yugoslavia there. Um Got a call from so this is this is towards the end of the summer. I was you know coming home for a workout, you know, getting my workout in, you know, preparing to see where I was going to go uh, the following season. And then I get an email from the uh, from the Feder- Nigerian Feder- Federation saying that they wanted me to uh, play on the Nigerian national team. So they I got the email on a Friday on a Friday afternoon to fly out on the next day, actually fly out on Monday to go to uh, China and go play. And so I got that. So I got that call right away, plane ticket, passport in hand right away. So from that Friday, I packed my stuff up, ready to go out that Monday to go fly out and play a Nigerian national team. So I was kind of blessed, you know, to be able to, you know, be that starting point guard on a Nigerian national team. So is there just an added element, though, of pride kind of wearing, uh, you know, wearing a national jersey, kind of playing out with the guys out there playing against different countries? Or kind of how was that experience like just, I guess, from a, a, a basketball but representing a group of people's standpoint in a whole country? You know, my background is Nigerian, you know, being able to, you know, they're trying to pick point and see what guys, you know, they wanted to put. Uh, you know, it was kind of a it was kind of a trial, trial run to see what guys they wanted to put, you know, for the next, you know, up and coming because every – I think it's so every four years the Olympics and then every two years that you play in the uh, Afro, what they call Afro. So you have the Euro basket, you got Afro basket, you know, and you got all these other ones, you know, trying to, you know, do trial runs to get prepared for the for the Olympics and things like that. So they wanted to get, you know, a group of guys that they wanted to, you know, kind of see uh, who would be the great fit, you know. And so I kind of got the opportunity, you know, to be able to play, you know, that summer, you know, on the Nigerian national team, you know, playing against, you know, different, you know, against different uh 
you know, guys around the world, you know, it was a great, it was a great experience for me. You know, it helped me out, you know, as a person, as a, just as a man. And then also, you know, as a basketball player and, you know, just be able to travel around the world. So before you went professionally overseas and you attended Greenville University, was that your first choice of college? Uh, I, so I had a lot of, you know, I had a lot of D3 uh, offers around the Midwest. I had a lot of, you know, mid-major offers, you know, Division one mid-major offers. You know, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to know, I wanted, you know, I wasn't too big on, you know, the D1 and all that. I wanted, you know, the right fit, what was going to be the right fit for me, you know, because you see kids nowadays, you know, they're transfer schools, this and that, you know, they want to see what the best fit for them. So for me, it was just the best fit. You know, I didn't want to go to a school where they said, yeah, you'd be the man or they would tell me something and I'd get there and, you know, I didn't play for two years. You know, I was a type of guy, you know, come out of Plano, you know, I wanted to play right away. So, and that so was a great that, fit. What was that aspect of Greenville that just made you fall in love with it and say, you know, this is where I need to be? Well, my coach, uh, Coach George Barber, you know, he told me uh, something that no other school told me. You know, he told me, what is it that I wanted to do, you know, after college? You know, a lot of guys, you know, they sometimes they're afraid to, you know, say that they want to play at the next level after college. I told them that I wanted to play professional basketball. And it wasn't, you know, NBA. It's like I was set on playing, you know, professional basketball overseas. And he told what he told me was, I can't promise you. He says, what I can promise you, you know, is a great education. You know, if you uh, come in the best shape of your life, you know, you play for your teammates and not yourself. You're coachable. Get your work done in the classroom. He said, you know, good, good things will happen for you, but I won't promise you, you know, playing overseas. So I kind of went on campus, you know, liked it a lot, you know, felt at home with, you know, the coaching staff, you know, people on campus and things like that. And, you know, came came back home, you know, and then decided, you know, to commit to, you know, Greenville College. And when I, if I had to do all over again, I'll do the same thing, you know. He challenged me every single day, you know. Uh, we we still talk to to each other this day, you know. Uh, he, he's he would even, you know, when I was overseas, you know, kind of, you know, Skype me, you know, see how things are going, you know. So it was a great fit for me. It sounds like for you, uh, one of these kind of big factors in the recruiting trail when you were getting kind of recruited to go play college basketball was kind of this relationship you had with your coach. Obviously, you had a good one. It stayed through now, and that's fantastic. What advice yeah. would you have for any younger guys now that maybe in high school kind of, you know, looking around, maybe don't have D1 offers but are still really wanting to play basketball just like you did? You know, what, uh, what, what do you think would be your advice for those guys? I would say, you know, you have to be, you know, any, any coach you talk to, you know, you got to be brutally honest with them what you want to do, you know, after college. You know, you you want to allow, you know, you want to get four years with your college coach. You know, you want to try to build that relationship for four years. You know, you want them to know everything about you, you know, on and off the court. You know, everything about your family, anything that's going on with you, you know, just build that relationship. So I say whoever you're getting recruited by, any coach, you know, build that re- relationship right away. Because like, like I told you about my coach at uh, Greenville, you know, I want to change, I want to change any other coach, you know, uh, like I even till this day, you know, I still, I, you know, I, we make jokes, I said, what's up, dad? He's like, what's up, son? So, you know, just build that relationship with your, with your college coach right away from, from high school. So growing up, what age would you say specifically around did you, did just click in your head, you know, I want to play basketball and I want basketball to be a part of my life for the rest of my life? Uh, I would say probably once I entered high school. So before I got to Plano, actually, I uh, spent two years at Lake Park High School uh, out in the uh, north. I think it's north northwest suburb. I don't know geography where 
Um, it is, but I was before for, before that I was at Lake Park High School before I came to Plano, and then when I transferred to Plano in 2005, that's when I knew okay, I'm set my mind on just playing, you know, uh, uh, basketball, you know, because this is what I want to do, you know, for the rest of my life, try to play at the pro- professional level. Because uh, growing up uh, in middle school, I actually, well, I actually started. So, so my first sport before basketball was actually soccer, and I felt like soccer made me become a better basketball player. And then I also did track here and there. And then when I got to high school, I just stuck to all basketball. And it's funny, uh, had, uh, you know, the uh, AD at Plano, you know, the head coach at the time, uh, uh, Jim Green, you know, they all wanted me or they all wanted me to uh, play football and stuff. So they're like, they always do. They they like, oh, we want you to play football. I was like, they said, we're going to win a state title. I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. You know, and they ended up winning, you know, back to back state titles when I was in when I was at Plano and things like that. But I always wanted, you know, stick to basketball. I knew I was going to make a career out of it. You mentioned, though, that you said you think soccer helped you become a better basketball player. How so? Uh, well, soccer, you know, it's kind of you. A lot of the, you know, footwork is the same for basketball, you know, helps you with your explosion, you know, with all the cuts you make, you know, it helped me become a better athlete. You know, uh, I always tell younger guys, you know, especially th- this day and age with AAU, you know, growing uh, as it is right now, a lot of guys are just basketball, basketball, basketball. And, you know, there's some times where you, when you're growing up, you know, you want to be able to have a secondary sport, you know, because that wear and tear on your body, the same muscles you use to train all the time, you know, that's that's a lot of kids get injuries and things like that. I wish, you know, my younger brother would have played, you know, another sport, you know, just to help him athletically as a basketball player. But I think soccer, I think that's probably the best sport to help you as a basketball player because it's the same footwork and it helps out your explosion, your quickness and your lateral movement. Okay, so I'm glad that you brought up Udo here. Um, I, I got to know, has he ever beaten you one-on-one? He has not, actually. We talk about it all the time. We always mess around. There's times he's come close. I remember a couple summers ago, uh, we were playing the game to 11. He got pretty close, but he has not beat me yet. Who who was dunking at a younger age, you or him? I was. I was dunking at 13. He he started dunking at 15. <laughs> you got this knocked down. You're like, nah, he's not beating me. <laughs> Do you think he'll finally beat you when you reach like age 40 and you know you've been out of playing for a while? You know, since since I've been you know at the college level, you know, coaching and things like that, I think if we were to play right now, I think he'd probably beat me. He's got the fresh legs. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I want to take a little bit of a turn here to. Uh, <laughs> So you mentioned you're you're coaching now. Um, what was it like going from the transition from you know player to coach? Kind of what motivated that? What kind of uh, were some of your thoughts with that? And kind of how's it gone so far? You know, I'm, I'm glad you, I'm glad you uh, said that. A lot of people don't know like my uh, 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 transition from you know playing to coaching. Actually, when I was my third year, when I was playing out in Italy, we had a off day um, from practice, and you know we're getting ready. Uh, for the playoffs and things like that. So I went in to the weight room, uh, was doing heavy lifting, squatting. So I had about, I was doing powerlifting with squat, so I had a lot of weight on there. Came, uh, was going down on my last set, went right back up, and my entire midsection shifted back and forth, and I heard a crack in my lower back. And so I put the weight down, and I just immediately dropped to the floor. And then luckily my physio, luckily my physio was right next door and stuff like that. It was, so I had a back injury. I think I, uh, it was my disc in my back. It was 
for six weeks couldn't you know i was crawling i was crawling like on four on all fours you know for about six weeks it was hard to use the bathroom or everything like that uh doctor said you know you can continue to play um you can continue to play basketball or you're going to be in a wheelchair you know for you know rest of your life so you know i kind of you know made transition from uh playing so i had one more year so i was like you know what let me let me try to go one more year so when i was playing out in egypt um for about 45 minutes it took me about 45 minutes each day you know just to get loose you know practice you know games if we're you know on the road or, or on a get on a flight you know and so then i was like you know what? i can't do this i can't do this for you know the rest of my life you know trying to get warmed up you know and stuff because you know the pro game you know it takes a beating on your body you know different hotels you know flights and things like that so um decided you know to take the you know coach around that's what i wanted to do when i was done playing anyways you know i always say uh coaches just like playing you kind of have that same fire same passion you just you know you just in a suit you know that's kind of how that's kind of how i put it so that's what i want to do you know so took that transition came home back in 2015 and uh, coached at uh, Lyle High School, obviously uh, one of our rivals in our conference there at with Plano, uh, Plano and uh, Lyle in the uh, I-8 conference there. So you're an assistant now at Central College. You've been there since, I believe, 2017. Correct. Do you have any ambitions here of stepping up and becoming a head coach somewhere if you get the offer? Or are you happy right now at Central College? You know, you've been there for a while and you just want to keep riding it out. I was actually, you know, after, you know, two years coaching uh, at Lyle, you know, I wanted to make that next step. You know, my my goal is to be a college head, college head coach one day, you know, and I was actually had the job offer at Lawrence College originally. And then a couple of weeks later, you know, got the opportunity, you know, to be a, the, the head, you know, head assistant coach at Central College, something I couldn't, you know, pass up. So I took that, you know, been working two years there, you know, going against my brother, you know, uh, a big, big little rival there and going on right now. Uh, but, yeah, someday I do, you know, just keep working at it. You know, the next it's the college level, you know, what even with it's almost like being a player, you know, the coaching, you know coaching level is very competitive you know everybody wants to get to that head coach level and there's only certain spots they're about 400 it's about 430 uh d3 schools you know and there's only and you have all those you only have a certain amount of spots you know that you can get to be a head coach so it's ultra competitive you know got to be able to network you know it's not always tell people it's not what you know it's who you know you know all the connections you know the networking that's how you're going to get to where you want to be so starting kind of uh, working as an assistant, you know, if you want to become a head coach uh, out there, what are kind of the skills do you have to build and kind of what in that time working as an assistant under um, a current head coach, what kind of skills do you look to gain to kind of make that next step? Well, my, I'll, I'll talk about my position a little bit and what I do. Uh, I'm in charge of all the recruiting, you know, obviously being from, you know, the uh, the Chicago area, you know, I recruit all Chicagoland kids. You know, I go out in St. Louis, I recruit kids. Go out to, uh, obviously, in Iowa here, we recruit uh, there. Um, Nebraska, like the Omaha area there. We got kids from Texas. We got kids from, you know, Arizona, Colorado. Um, so I'm, I do a lot of the uh, recruiting aspect of things, as well as the head coach, obviously. Uh, and I do a lot of the, uh, the video breakdown 
you know, getting guys ready. You know, I do uh, skill work with the guys, player development stuff with the guys, and also doing uh, team fundraising um, to help out our program. So kind of those things, you know, building your resume, you know, being in the program for years, you know, and just getting your feet wet, you know, and then I think that that I think is what you have to do. You know, kind of have to build your name, you know, get out to different, you know, uh, recruiting, recruiting uh, showcases, you know, meet different coaches, you know, meet other other coaches that, you know, were at your at your position, you know, kind of network with them to see how uh, what you need to do to get, you know, to that next level as a head coach. So when you become a head coach, I'm kind of curious, what kind of coach mentality are you going to have? Are you going to be the coach that shoots the lights out of the gym? Are you going to emphasize defense all the time? What type of coach mindset do you have? I'm always, you know, since day one, I mean, even my high school coaches, even the ones I had. So I had my coach at Lake Park High School, my coach at uh, Plano. I actually had two different coaches at, at Plano when I was when I was playing there and my college coach, you know, all all of them emphasize defense, you know, and I'm the type of guy, you know, you always hear that cliche, you know, defense wins championships. And I always think that's, you know, I, I am a true believer of, you know, defense wins championships. You know, guys talk about, you know, Golden State. You know, guys kind of see, you know, they shoot the lights out of it. But everybody forgets that they're the number one defensive team in the NBA, you know. So we even had a team in our conference that won the D3 National Championship last year, you know. And they averaged about 90-some points per game. But they played a 3-2, played a 3-2 zone and got their hands in passing lanes and deflections. And that's how they kind of won, you know. That's that's how they won because of the defense. So I'm a firm believer of defense and I say, if you can't stop somebody, then you're going to have a hard time, you know, winning games. Can't win if you can't score, right? Right. So, uh, <laughs> I always say, I always say, you can always, you can always have off night shooting, but you can't. You, I mean, there's no such thing as having an off night playing defense. I always, I always believe that defense is all effort and pride. Say, so, yeah, you can always kind of pull someone's at least effort out if they can play some defense, 100. percent I mean. Well, me personally, I kind of just set picks and a uh, big effort guy out there. I don't possess a basketball phone or body. So, uh, but yeah, so moving on, you're recruiting now. So what's your, what's your go-to recruiting pitch? What's the, what's the go-to kind of method if you, you wanted to get Quentin and I uh, recruited over to the Central College for basketball? I'm hoping, I'm hoping it's the Rick Patino process. You know, you're <laughs> the strippers down there and everything are coming. That's, that's funny you talk about Rick Patino. So my college coach, you know, he, uh, uh, before he got to Greenville, he was actually uh, one of the uh, assistant coaches on the Kentucky staff in 1998 with Anton Walker and Tony Duck and those guys and, uh, and Jamal Nashberg and stuff. So I kind of like Ripetino, his style of the, uh, what he played and things like that. But moving on from there, uh, I kind of, you know, when I talk to guys, you know, I'm kind of personal, with them, especially the guys I recruit in the Chicagoland area. You know, I always talk to them about my, you know, background of how I got to where I was at. You know, playing at a, you know, small, uh, going from a big high school to a small high school, you know, in the recruiting process and then, you know, being great fit. And then I just talk about, you know, my experience playing professional overseas. Like when I talk about that, they're like, oh, wow, you know, and things like that. So I always kind of just talk about my personal life and then how I got to it. And, you know, I always, you know, I'm still in contact with, with my uh, my uh, former agent and things like that, guys that want to play. You know, at the next level, you know, I have I definitely still have the connections to get guys to, you know, play at the uh, next level. Did so you stay with the same agent all throughout your pro career overseas or have you? I did. Up? I did all four years. 
and stick with the same one. That's kind of I'm all about loyalty, so. Yeah, I was about to say that's a, that's a big one too. That's that's awesome. So a lot of the recruiting then is just kind of making at least your philosophy is kind of making personal connections, making these players feel like you're someone they can trust, and then also kind of offering up these networking opportunities. Kind of you know uh, people you know, like you said, kind of you know it's not you know necessarily uh, how you are or whatever. It's kind of who you know. So is that kind of basically your idea, I guess, as a whole? Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's like my like where I got to, you know, from uh, playing at the professional level, you know, uh, getting to know a lot of uh, people, you know, playing professionally, you know, get to network with them, you know, and then transitioning from going from playing professional, you know, to to the high school level, you know, even when I got back, you know, I always tell people when after playing professionally, you know, you make all the money that you want to and stuff, you know, you come back home, you almost have to start over. A lot of people don't know that. You know, people, you know, you try to save us, save up as much as you can, you know, playing profession. But as soon as you come back to, you know, state grounds, you kind of got to start all over again, you know. And, you know, trying to start, you know, my career as a as a coach was kind of tough, you know, just kind of kind of looking around and seeing where I can, you know, uh, step my foot in. You know, I only had my so I graduated from Greenville in my uh, in my uh, undergrad in sports management. You know, I kind of, I always said I like I wanted to, you know, work as a sports agent, but I was like, you know what, I still have still have love for, you know, playing uh, the game and stuff. So I still want to be around basketball, you know, not kind of want to be, you know, in the uh, in the spotlight of, you know, trying to be like an agent and stuff. So that's kind of where I wanted to do. So I wanted to become a coach and stuff. So got to the to the high school level, you know, saw opening at Lyle High School. So I kind of took that with it, you know, coached there two years. And then kind of make connections to, you know, college coaches uh, to be uh, at the collegiate level there. So just making those connections, you know, and I'm still networking every single day. Even me being, you know, one of the top assistants, you know, I'm still networking, still talking to coaches when I go to recruiting events, you know, showcases. You know, what what does it take to, you know, be the best you can be at your position? And what is it that you can do to, you know, be at the next level as a head coach? How much does um, getting uh, be careful what I've said. So, how much does getting friendly with the AAU coaches help recruit some of their players? Like, obviously, not in terms of you know pushing the limits or anything, but perfectly within legal range. But it, does it play a big kind of advantage to you if you are friends or close with their uh, a recruits AAU coach? How much does that help? So we get a lot of emails day in and day out. You know, we get day in and day out with all the, you know, emails about recruit. Like we got recruiting websites. But I think the best thing to do is get in touch with the AU coaches because they're the ones like, yeah, I have this kid or I have this kid or this kid is, you know, is a, I guess, uh, like a dark horse kid, you know. So getting in touch with those AU coaches, I know, like the, the uh, day and age of AAU, you know, not a lot of high school or not a lot of college coaches are going to high school games, you know, to go watch kids. They're all going to AAU events. They're all going to, you know, these big time, you know, sponsored showcases and watching kids play. So I think being in touch and getting connected with uh, these AAU coaches is, is pretty big these days. And that's kind of the big recruiting tool that you have to have, you know, getting in contact with all the AAU coaches, um, being in touch with some of the parents. I mean, it's kind of dying with, you know, being in contact with high school coaches, even though, you know, majority of your season is spent with, you know, your respective high school. 
Right, right. But AAU, just now, the way it works, whatever, be it the culture, whatever, just kind of determines everything. So, understandable, understandable. Okay, Obi, so we want to kind of wrap this up here. We don't want to take too much of your time. We do thank you for taking the time to come on to Section 312, but we got a couple final questions here. I'll start it off with my final question. You were an all. You were named a Kosovo Super League All Star back in 2013. Was mm-hmm. there like a game you played in, or was it just like a list of people that they said, "Okay, you're an All Star"? So when we uh, when we got named, uh, when I got named uh, being an All Star, there was actually an All Star game. So it's actually the all the in Kosovo in uh, Kosovo. There's only you're only allowed two um, international non. Kosovo people on your team, so you're only allowed two Americans or two people that are not from you know Kosovo on the team. So I was lucky to get na- named that. So it was basically all the international guys versus the people that are from Kosovo, and so we actually played an All Star game there. Did you win? We did not win. Wow. We did not win. All right, I got two more, but uh, I'm going to have a question. I wanna, I'm not even going to talk about that because if I, <laughs> if, I, if I talk about how that game, I, no. All right, all right. I, won't, I won't dig on it. I won't dig on it. I won't dig on it. <laughs> um, I was going to ask, uh, what's the transition like um, going from a U.S. basketball culture to the international basketball culture? Was there anything big? You know, do the players play differently? Is there a different philosophy with how to play? Uh, just kind of what was your experience with that? Oh, uh, so when I, when I first, you know, uh, got to uh, Kosovo because that was my first. That was well, basically when I uh, went over because I played in uh, in Canada first, which is kind of still the same a little bit. Still kind of have the same rules, uh, but like FIFA basketball, international basketball is different. You know the footwork. You know when you uh, different footwork in terms of cross stepping. You know I think like guys in high school and college. You know when they rip through and try to go through defenders. You know, it's different from in playing in Europe because if you rip through like you do in the States, you know, they'll call it travel, you know, kind of have to change uh, your footwork a little bit. Um, Got to get adjusted to the shot clock, you know, obviously uh, from going from college to, you know, pros, obviously just like an NBA's 24 second shot clock. Um, you can actually, uh, you, you can't necessarily goaltend, but when you shoot, when you shoot free throws, you can like hit the ball off the rim, you know, which is kind of different. Um, and then the fan and fan base is just crazy, you know. Yeah. They will, they will, they they're diehard fans there, and they're the chance and the stuff you hear, you know, in the games, you know, it's it's something it's something to see. It's hard to explain, but when you're when you're actually there, it's you get you get goosebumps, you get goose goosebumps all around your body. So it's kind of cool, kind of good. It was a great experience for me playing all four years uh, at the professional level there. Definitely. So, wait, do they use the smaller ball in Kosovo? They don't. No, they just use the FIFA ball. It's, so it's the same size, the same uh, circumference as an NBA basketball. It's just different. The, the feel of the ball is different. Okay, oh, That's what it is. Okay. Okay. There's no adjustment with that, though? Kind of, or is that kind of uh, shoot just it out? a little bit. Just a little bit. You get adjust, you would get accustomed to it, you know, in about two weeks or time or so. Yeah, I, I, we actually used it when we were when I was playing out in Canada, so I was kind of I got used to it a little bit. All right, yeah, just go in the gym for a couple weeks, kind of shoot it out, and you'll eventually get over it. Gotcha. Uh, I got one last thing. Okay, everybody today says that LeBron is their favorite athlete, 
but you actually got to, you know, witness the Jordan era a little bit better than we did and everything. <laughs> who who was your favorite athlete growing up? Not basketball player, but overall athlete. Growing up. Oh, wow. It, you know, it changed. It changed for me, you know, year by year. Obviously, you know, I, I was able to watch Michael Jordan play. You know, there's times I was a Jordan fan. There's times I was a Kobe fan. There's times I was even a Tracy Mc, my my freshman year in high school, I was actually a T-Mac fan when he's at his prime and things like that. Had all his shoes. You know, I had posters in my in my uh, in my room and in my school binders and all that. So I was actually a T-Mac fan at one time. Um, and obviously LeBron fan, you know, it it changed for me. But I know the the talk between Jordan and LeBron, you know, I was able to, you know, be able to see Jordan and Kobe and LeBron play. I'd put me personally, I'd put LeBron one, Jordan two, Kobe three. All right, I can see. I, I see. I get LeBron back. That's yeah. I'm all for it's just that. the things oh. LeBron is doing. I've never seen. I've I've never seen before him being I mean, able, to, you know, yeah. being a carry team. Obviously, it's team basketball. But the things he's done versus what Jordan's done, I I've never seen. I never seen a person single-handedly, you know, take over a game like that, like like LeBron does. Like, so it's it's coming from somebody that's watched all, you know, both eras. This is like LeBron's doing something that no other human being on this earth has ever been able to do in the game of basketball. I mean, he's a physical freak. I mean, he's a he's an abnormal human. He he's like part robot or part superhuman or something. I mean, the dude's about six seven, two sixty to two seventy. Can you know has crazy ball handling? Can now he can shoot? Could drive oh. forever? Yeah, dude's a freak. I'm I'm all on that. What's it like living with such a cool name? Cool name. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, obviously, I mean, obviously, I didn't pick my name. You know, everybody calls me Obi, but my uh, full name's Obina, which means uh, Father's Wish. So that's kind of what my, my what uh, my name is. So, do like, the ladies? I always, had nick, I always had nicknames, you know, growing up, like Obi Wan Kenobi, you know, Obi Trice, you know. My fiance <laughs> called me Obadiah, you know. So I got all these names, you know. Actually, so I wore so in Plano, I wore number one just because people called me Obi Wan. okay that's good that's real good we gotta end it on that that was really good all right obi thank you again for taking the time to sit in section 312 we hope to have you as a reoccurring guest later down in the future to talk about what you're doing stuff like that for sure i just want to i just want to close on one thing you know i appreciate you guys you know having me on the show i know everybody you know coming from you know playing on small time you know quitting yourself you know being able to do this podcast you know guys like joe jones you know playing the nfl you know and then cole bennett you know doing his thing with the producer you know being a small town you know people say where's Plano at you know all these guys like ourselves you know doing big things coming from you know the same you know neck of the woods you know is really big you know i always always looking you know and see guys coming out of Plano, you know doing their thing it's a good feeling all right obi thank you so much yeah i appreciate you guys having me on of course good luck with north central this year thank you and that was the interview with Obi Ogomo. He was sitting in section 312. That interview was brought to you by Swazzle Painting. Swazzle Painting has been painting the Chicagoland area for about 20 to 25 years. They do interior, exterior, staining, removing wallpaper, power washing. If you want to change that mustard yellow in your kitchen, or if your husband just chose a terrible looking beige in the living room, give Raul Swazzle a call. 
630-272-2096. He does free estimates, or you can email him at swazopainting at iCloud.com. So we had Obi. I thought Obi was awesome. He's going to be a reoccurring guest. I believe he liked the show a lot. Yeah, dude, Obi was fantastic. I was so happy to have him on. I think it was a super interesting conversation and just a ton of really good stuff out of him. I yeah, I I I'm at a loss for words because yeah, the interview was an absolute blast. I had I, I don't know what I was expecting going in because you you know you and Obi knew each other or you knew Obi's brother. Um, we'd never met and it was it was super cool to get to know him. Super great guy. Really happy that we got him on and we'll definitely have him back for sure. So jumping right in. The Brewers, they fell. They're in fourth place. Yelich has 13 home runs, but they're all at home, and nine of them are against the Cardinals. Hey, man, he, he likes the Miller slide, dude. Leave him alone. I mean, you know, if you got to see your mascot go down the slide when you hit a home run, you'd only want yours to be at home, too. The Brewers fall down to fourth place, and the Cubs are 8-2 and two in their last 10. St. Louis is in first place in the NL Central. Dude, Goldie... Goldie is hot, bro. Whew, that man is smoking. He is a dime out there, dude. He is looking like he is worth all that cash from the start. I don't know about you if you've been watching a little bit of St. Louis baseball, but Paul Goldschmidt is doing exactly what he did in Arizona for all those years in a fucking Cardinals uniform right now. I'm not nervous, though, because the Cubs are rolling along a little bit. The pitching's getting better. Jose Quintana is looking like the best pitcher on the staff right now. Cole Hamels is looking well, too. My biggest concern is still the bullpen. Uh, they keep moving people up and down. Uh, the Easter Bodie hit a walk-off uh, <laughs> base hit. So the Cubs won uh, that game. They're 8-2. and two. It, It's good to be a Cubs fan. I can't wait to get back up north. I can't wait for the summer. Wrigley Field, bleacher seats. I'm ready. We we need to get to a we'll have to get to a Cubs game this summer and we'll we'll do some uh we'll do some videos with it and uh and 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 show off there because I I gotta be honest I love guaranteed right don't like the name don't like the fucking ugly ass red arrow that everyone's made fun of whatever but there uh, there's nothing like the Wrigley bleachers getting drunk out there in the heat of summer I will be honest with that um the White Sox though are looking good dude I'm. You know, last week I w- I've been going on rants, right? For the last like three weeks, I'm, I'm gonna turn, I'm gonna flip the script this week. You know, good good week for the White Sox. Uh, Mancada is picking it up. Abreu is picking it up. You know, uh, you, I mean, it, Tim Anderson, bro, just has been a spark plug. Like what what uh, this beef with the Royals just lit a fire up under the White Sox ass. They're looking great. I mean. You know, I, I have nothing but uh, positive things for the Sox this week. The starting pitching has been doing a lot better. They just pitch pounded the Orioles, which isn't saying much, but, you know, the confidence builder. Uh, did you see the Twitter beef with Tim Anderson, the whole thing? Yeah, the whole bat flip thing. Yeah, I, I personally believe I like the bat flips a lot, especially when you're home like that. I, I like the bat flips. I do like it a lot. Yeah, I mean, I look. I, I'm coming to complete Tim Anderson defense here, right? Like, you know, there, there's he, he's a young dude. He's been struggling. He had a shit year last year. By all means, the guy should be hyped up that he's hitting fucking 500 a month into the season, pretty much. 
I mean, you're you're mashing, you're fucking everything you're seeing, you're just putting out there, you're feeling it. Your fucking team didn't get Manny Machado, you didn't get Bryce Harper, you tried, they kind of told you, fuck off, you're a second-rate team. And so you guys are going to go out there and fucking play with some hype. I love that. You know, I there there should be nothing but like appreciation from White Sox fans if the team has a spark like this. I can't remember the last time I saw a White Sox player have this much fire in them out on the field. Like I love it. I I, I fucking love it. Like, you know, bat flips are dope. It gives baseball life. Baseball is such a dead sport sometimes, and it's so slow and so old manny. It, it's I'm I'm really happy to see dudes like Tim Anderson out there. And if you're mad about that, fuck you. It doesn't matter. That's kind of I I don't know. I mean, chill out about a bat flip. Don't throw the ball over the middle and get it sent 430 feet into the seats. Do your job and you don't have to worry about it. You know, it's and, you know, you strike him out the next day at bat instead of throwing at him. And then you sit there and you point your finger at him and you say, fuck you. I mean, that's I don't know. It seems simple enough to me, but baseball has some fucked kind of rules that are in it. So, you know, it is what it is. So the Cubs and the White Sox are in the right direction right now. Seattle and Tampa, though, are still the two top teams. They remain hot. How long do you think this continues? All right, um, here's my question to you. Seattle or Tampa, who goes on the losing streak first? Oh, it's going to be Seattle. Oh, it's going to be Seattle. I want to say Tampa because of the division they play in, but, I mean, I already see Seattle kind of faltering, and I just – the way Tampa plays, I actually can see, and given that last year they had 90 wins, I can actually see them sustaining somewhat of the success. They're going to come back down. Don't get me wrong; they'll come back down to earth. But I, I don't think that they're going to. Um, I don't think that they're going to suffer nearly as much as uh, Seattle will in the coming couple of months. Man, Seattle's team is gutted. These dudes are playing hard. That's awesome. You know, giving Seattle fans something to watch. But I, I, I don't see that success continuing. Let's get into some segments, man. Let's let's stop rambling. Let's give the people what they want, and that's some of some segments at section three one two. I think you're gonna like this one for bald guy of the week that I'm gonna nominate up here. Jared Dudley on the Nets. Jared Dudley on the Nets. Unfortunately for him, he calls out Ben Simmons, says he can't play in the half court, only a transition player, and I don't think Brooklyn won a game after he said that. Jill Abid was going after him. The series got feisty. It made for some good drama. But I'm going to nominate Jared Dudley for Bald Guy of the Week because uh, that that man was uh, <laughs> that man was wilding on Twitter. And uh, I don't know, man. It, uh, I think the dude. I like him going after Ben Simmons, but it didn't really work out for him. Yeah, Jared Dudley. Congratulations, you are our ball guy of the week. Moving right along, seven wonders of the world. Are you cashing it in? Are you going to cash it? I can't cash in Lillard's because it was only the first uh, the first round of the series. I wanted to. I really gave it some thought, but I can't do that yet. If that was in the finals, I, I'm all, or not even the finals, even, even the conference finals, I'm all for it, but I can't do it yet. Okay. I'm not cashing in either. It was a great performance by Damian Lillard, but I am not cashing it in as well. So moving right along down the list, we have no fan emails yet. Guys, you want the segment? Email us, officialsection312 at gmail.com. We will answer questions, comments, concerns. You have a topic you want us to talk about, email us. Do it. We want it. 
Everybody here knows about it. It is Karaoke Taxi, the premier Chicagoland area taxi ride absolute adventure, providing your DJ karaoke any occasion. You guys, I, I've said it a couple of weeks now. Y'all know what it is. They do birthday parties. They do family gatherings. They do block parties, night with friends, anything you want, man. If you guys just want to sit down, crack some beers, fucking slam a couple of those, do some karaoke, fucking hey, call karaoke adventure. I mean, they have everything for, you know, your fucking party. They, they bring everything too, right? They got your PA. They got their mics. They got the TV. They got the lighting. You don't have to worry about doing some 70s karaoke screen at a fucking shady little bar. You can just fucking slam a bottle of vodka and then scream ZZ Top until you fucking pass out in your own puke. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> Contact Aaron Michaels to uh, get more info. Find him on Facebook. Karaoke Adventure 773-732-6597. Go check him out, guys. I swear to God, it is a fucking awesome time to do some karaoke with Karaoke Adventure. All right. I want to get into the starting five. We are doing the deaths in cinema, television, games, any kind of fictional character that we thought died a little bit too early in the series and we thought would have made the plot a lot better, actually, or um, at least interesting had they stayed around and uh, gone on. This is all in honor of the epic Game of Thrones episode that the world is about to watch this week. We're talking an hour and a half of dragons, zombies, fighting. Everything George R. R. Martin promised us like nine years ago is finally coming to fruition in this episode. So uh, I think we should just dive right into it, Quentin. What do you think? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, I'm going to let you call it. You want heads or tails? The usual. Uh, fucking tails. I've lost three times in a row, I think, on your stupid phone, which is rigged for heads. But let's do tails. Flip a coin. Tails. All right, Siri, finally fucking coming to my corner here. All right, let's fucking get it. Okay. Number one. I'm, I'm kind of weaving through my options here. I have a list. I'm going to go with Michael Scott from The Office. So this isn't actually a death, and uh, I guess it was more the death of the series. But Michael Scott leaves The Office, and... The whole kind of series went downhill in the last couple of seasons afterwards. I thought it was kind of a, you know, the the beginning of the end when he kind of goes out. And a lot of people agree with you or would agree with me on that, I think. So I'm going to go with Michael Scott and his loss in the office. Had they kind of picked another character, they could have probably had a couple more top tier seasons. But uh, they kind of cut it out early and, you know, finish things off. My first pick, I'm going to go with Apollo Creed because... He thought he could take down Russia, and Russia just kicked his ass. And then we had to turn to the Italian stallion to bring back the gold. Not just Russia, dude. Fucking uh, Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> Fucking roided out Dolph Lundgren. Beat the piss out of Apollo. <laughs> but, hey, I mean, uh, could have definitely made for an interesting series had you had him along for kind of the next couple of Rockies for sure. My My second pick... I'm taking Bubba. He got gunned down in Nam, and Forrest had to go running through the forest to go save Bubba. What happens if Bubba survived? If Bubba survived, does Bubba Gum Shrimp become even bigger than what it was? Does it never take off? 
do they start button heads, Bubba and Forrest? Does Mama like Forrest? I don't know. Does Mama like Bubba? I don't know. But Bubba, man, he got him in Nam. God fucking damn it, dude. That was that one was my like dark horse, like kind of hidden uh, diamond in the rough, and you just fucking nabbed it from me. That's a good one, dude. Yeah, Rip Bubba, Lieutenant Dan probably never makes it out of that too. Then though, like you probably never get a little uh, Lieutenant Dan because he just never goes back. Yeah, right. Lieutenant's gone, but Bubba survives. All right. Uh, so my number two, let me go with, is Chubbs from Happy Gilmore. No! <laughs> no! Ah, Chubbs! They took his hand! <laughs> so Chubbs, Happy brings back his, the alligator head without the eye, and Chubbs falls out of a window in one of the saddest movie deaths of all time. Who knows? Shooter McGavin might win the gold jacket if Chubbs doesn't die. But Chubbs, but Chubbs does. Happy Gilmore is uh, propelled to win the gold jacket, and uh, history was written. God damn it, Chubbs! <laughs> did Chubbs help Tiger win the Masters? <laughs> I think he did, dude. I think I think Chubbs uh, reached his arm down. Him and Lee Trevino from that movie, they all reached down, and, and the alligator. All in heaven, waving. They all reached down and grabbed Tiger, and they touched him, and they said, "You, you're gonna win. <laughs> you're getting the green jacket." All right. Um, moving on to my number three. I'm gonna move to the video game world here, Quentin. Okay. Did you play Call of Duty Four? Uh, I don't really remember most of it. Sergeant Griggs, voiced by uh, Fifty Cent. Who was like the American, like uh, he he was a uh, some like sergeant in the American military. I legit was like 12 years old when playing this, and I almost broke down to tears when he died. He gets gunned down at the very end of the game. He doesn't carry on to the other two. It's a tragic video game death if you ever played the campaign for that. And uh, big rip to uh, Sergeant Griggs from Call of Duty Four. Uh, moving right along, my number fourth pick of the draft for movie characters that were gone too soon. I'm going to go Marley from Marley and Me. Oh, fuck. I was thinking about the I Am Legend dog earlier. I, I didn't want to do a dog, though. Oh, that was my dark horse. You can't fucking include two dogs, dude. <laughs> Yes, I can. Can only take so much sadness being brought. Up. <laughs> oh my gosh! All right, so I'm taking Marley from Marley and Me, and then my fifth pick, Vincent Vega from Pulp Fiction, when he gets gunned down on the toilet after reading the book. <laughs> okay. All right, I I can get behind that. I think that was only your fourth though, but was, uh, I think we can go. Wait, hold up, hold up. So one, one, two, three, four. Yeah, I got one more. So you got two, and then I got one to finish it. Yeah. Okay. Um. <laughs> all right, I'll save that for honorable mentions. Um. All right, I'm gonna go with Tuco Salamanca from Breaking Bad. He was a personal favorite character of mine. Big Tuco fan. He is a fucking absolute goon. Um, and he, I think he got gunned down in a, it was like end of season three. 
I thought the storyline could have been pretty cool had they kept him around for a little bit longer and kind of added to that character dynamic. But, you know, what can you do? I think it's just definitely, though, a death that was a little bit too soon in the series, and they could have definitely uh, carried his character out and developed it a little bit more for sure. Um, okay. Moving on to number five. You know, I'm going to go with Joffrey from Game of Thrones, and I was trying to, like, limit Game of Thrones people, but I feel like I can't leave him off the list. He's just this little douchebag king that's kind of, like, rolling around doing whatever the fuck he wants and acting like an absolute prick. And it definitely added a... Uh, it was, this is kind of when, like, Thrones was just fucking thriving. And, um, you know, I think had they kept him around for another season, they could have done some uh, wild shit, and they could have definitely... Um, developed uh, a different plot line that was pretty interesting with things. But, you know, they, they did the death tastefully, so I can't complain. All right, what's your number five? My number five really touched the hearts of many, and it really shook me growing up as a kid. And I don't know if you were a fan of Peter Pan or stuff like that, but if you saw Hook with Robin Williams playing Peter Pan, rest in peace, Robin Williams, when Rufio dies, that is one of the saddest moments of cinema history. You know, I wasn't a Disney kid growing up. I don't think I've ever watched Peter Pan. I'm sorry, Robin Williams. You go, No, it's called Hook. Oh, oh I'm, I'm sorry, Hook. Yes, you're right. Uh, so I got to go with Rufio. Rufio dying has got to be my number five. You have honorable mentions. So you got honorable mentions. What are they? Yeah, I do. Um. All right, let's see. So you already hit Bubba. Big rip for that one because that was a good one. Um, I have uh, <clears throat> uh, Brian O'Connor. So um, that is um, uh, from Fast and the Furious. That was Paul Walker's character. Uh, thought that would have been cool to have had a couple more movies with him. Rest in peace again, Paul Walker. Uh, Chef from South Park. So that's Isaac Hayes. Um, again, I think rest in peace. Sorry, Isaac. Um, and then Lenny from Red Dead Redemption 2, who I think died one chapter too early and had one of the most iconic um, missions, I guess, in a video game in the past like three years with uh, when you just get drunk as fuck in like a bar. Awesome fucking scene. Uh, yes, yeah, so I think those were mine. Uh, what about you? Uh, I had a couple good honorable mentions. I had Dobby from Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. You know, he died, but at least he uh, he kind of died a free elf with that sock. Uh, I also had Wilson, the volleyball. I thought, you know, maybe he'd get off the island and put him in a case. I thought that would be a good one. Old Yeller. I think Old Yeller went a little too soon. I, th- <laughs> I think Old Yeller got put down just a little too soon. <laughs> I'm going to have to say Jack. Jack Dawson from the Titanic. Rose, that bitch. She could have fucking fit him on the board. This is fucking bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Rose. He's the only person. His chivalry, or chivalry, chivalry killed him. His, his chivalry fucking killed himself, dude. Fuck Rose. And, and you know, to, to round it all out, I think maybe... We'd have to put Mufasa on there because if Mufasa doesn't die, then what the hell happens with the Lion King? We just watching animals roam or what? 
I feel like you go a lot with that narrative of like fathers that die at the beginning of a movie that like motivates the kid to do something. Like, there's a ton of those that you could pull out. You know, I, I got another this. good one. I have another good one. Joe Pesci, man. He was about to be a made man. He walks in and he gets whacked. Robert De Niro's balling on the phone. And Ray Liotta's like, what happened? They they whacked him. They whacked him. He's gone. And there's nothing we can do about it. I thought you were talking about Home Alone for a second. I was like, what scene did I miss for fucking... <laughs> is it Macaulay Culkin, right? Macaulay Culkin is just murdering people. Macaulay Culkin rolls out with an AR-15 and just fucking opens up on Joe Pesci and the fucking tall dude with the fucking bro. <laughs> Oh my gosh! All right, so that rounds out the starting five of of our early deaths in cinema and movies and everything. Everybody out there listening, you can follow us on our Facebook page at Section Three One Two Official. Follow us on Twitter at O Section Three One Two and our Instagram Official Section Three One Two. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, Google Play. Go subscribe to our YouTube channel and see the people we're actually interviewing. Section Three One Two on YouTube. <coughs> Man, what a show! Ob, it was a great show. NBA playoffs. Dane Dollar hits hits the game winner game of thrones they're all about to die i can't wait for next week's episode when we get to talk a lot a lot of game of thrones talk a lot a lot of thrones a lot of thrones shout out to d lillard shout out to ob for a fucking awesome interview we fucking love doing this um yeah folks follow us on social media give us some love we'll see you guys next week